Hi everyone. I'm very excited today to be talking about some of my favorite topics, which are fear um, and the roots of self-hate. I am a master self-abuser, so you can consider me an expert on making yourself feel absolutely terrible about yourself. Like, I'm a, I'm a true expert. So, I have a lot of, a huge amount of experience with horrible fear. And I know lots of you guys do too. So, <laughs> so I'm going to um, talk about these things and I'm going to get some help today with my favorite um, expert, Teal Swan, who's been helping me on these different mental health talks. She's not willingly helping me, but I hope she'd be okay with it. But um, yeah, I'm going to be inserting certain clips of hers to get into the topics of fear, the inner child, self-love, self-hate, and what the heck we can do with, with all those things. Okay, so one of the most, very most important things to realize is that fear of negative emotions and fear and invalidation of fear, invalidation of negative emotions are sort of the, the root cauldron of self-hate. So let's start this episode by giving validation to whatever degree of fear or anxiety that we experience, whatever degree. And I'm talking about the worst association. I'm talking about, um, yeah, dissociation from your mind included. I'm talking about excruciating pain. I'm talking about all of these things. You have to be able to validate them. If you've been traumatized, you have a lot of fear. And just, valid just fear. Just in that self. Yes, and valid fear. And valid fear. And I want to say valid fear about a hundred times over. Because the reality is, is that we live, especially in the spiritual field, we are in the business of saying that fear is an illusion and it's not real. No. You don't end up there by chance. You end up there because you've had negative experience and that has to be honored. And also with the honoring of the fear, I also wanted to acknowledge that state of feeling like you have a huge amount of dark energy surrounding you, like a overwhelming infiltration of dark energy. That needs to be honored for... Um, that that it happened to you because you've had negative experiences okay because the whole experience of having huge amounts of dark energy around you is almost equivalent and i would say it really is as feeling as if you are bad um which is the essence of not being able to feel your internal light which is of course always there as everyone says but um, when you experience heavy darkness as almost like an inbuilt part of yourself, it's almost impossible to not um, start developing this inner sense, I'm bad, I'm evil. And I've, I really understand this very much, like the sensation of feeling truly evil. And it's almost like it's more likely that you'll experience this if you are very sensitive, especially very mentally or psychically sensitive, it's very easy to 
see how you are a part of everything. Well, I, I'll just speak for myself. It's easy to see how you're a part of everything and take the negative side of it all onto yourself. So if you are someone who um, understands the idea of loving all, uh, all that there is and that um, everything is a part of you in a way, I've found that my weakness in terms of feeling bad has almost gotten magnified in, in a good way, hopefully I'll, in terms, hopefully I'll make it a good way in the end, but it can magnify your, the way that you, ways that you self-punish, because if you take in beautiful, strong, powerful things as yourself, it's also very likely that you can take very punishing, negative, weak things into yourself, like feeling like you yourself are a perpetrator of, I'm not sure if I, if people can relate to how I'm explaining this, I'll, but it's very easy to not know how to manage the two ends of the spectrum. Like you understand the need to embrace the rapist, the abuser, the, um, some people who lie or betray you, you understand that in its totality but you also fall very quickly into identifying yourself with all those bad things as well. Like you can hate yourself for being a psychic vampire. You can hate yourself for being a narcissist. You can hate yourself for being selfish. You can hate yourself for doing things that are anti-life um, in such a profound way when you really opened up the spectrum to yourself. But this, <laughs> which I do not advise, because as I said, we are all, we're all light and no one is, no one is evil. Um, but the darkness makes it feel that way. So that's what I started this whole sh section of over speaking probably about. That, okay, if you feel that cloud of darkness or evilness over you, recognize that emotionally hurtful things have genuinely happened to you. This is, has nothing, this has nothing to do with your wrongness. And that is impossible to believe when you're in that state, but that's just what I wanted to say. And, um, yeah, I wish that I could, uh, maybe I'll talk about it more later once I've thought about it. But okay, now let's talk about, it goes with what I was saying. Let's talk about, um, the concept of love has to do with including all things as yourself in a way that they're, I mean, this is, this just sounds way too, way too cheesy, but you're, you can truly be in a state of non-resistance in life when you have this sense of not pushing other things away from you. And you only feel like you have to push things away from you when you're in a state of fear and you're in a state of needing to protect yourself. Um, everyone can relate to that. So I'm going to go to a clip of Teal's that talks a little bit about um, this, what happens when people start getting fearful and how um, this pushing away aspect happens. If you feel the sensation of love, which is usually preceded by appreciative focus eyes, I get a sensation of pulling closer to you. It's a fusion. 
When I say I'm afraid of that, it is the exact opposite. It's a distancing. It's an isolation. That's why fear in and of itself and the extreme pain that is caused by fear is so inherently isolating. It causes me to live in a, in a world where I am separate from everything around me. I have to be separate from everything around me. Because obviously I only fear something when I think it doesn't have my best interest at heart. And if it is me, how can that be the case? I wanted to pause here for a sec to appreciate the profundity of what she just said about um, if everything is me, how can anything not have my best interests at heart? Yeah, to be afraid is to feel like other things don't have your best interests at heart, but if you can go into that space, if you can, um, if you know what that feels like when everything is you, everything must have your best interests at heart. There's not resistance to the things around you or the people around you and how they behave anymore. So that being said, most of the time, of course, or lots of the time, we don't experience that. We experience a lot of fear. So what do we do with that? It is true that every one of us has fear. And, and my issue with our attitude towards fear is that there's a great many teachers who, who approach fear from the angle of it's the greatest enemy. Fear is the tool of the ego, and the ego is the reason you can't be happy and the reason that you feel bad, and so it becomes yet another thing to fear and hate. So the way that we need to be approaching our fears is, is by loving our fears. And how do you love your fears? Very simply. You treat your fears as if it's a crying child, because it is no different. Okay. So if I'm desperately terrified of getting close to this person, I come in and love that fear. By saying, I mean, how would you treat a child? I completely understand that you're here. I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to help you feel better. I'm going to soothe you. That's the type of attitude we need to be taking towards our fears. Not like I'm going to push through them, or I'm going to run away from them, or I'm going to tell myself they're ridiculous, or fill in the blank. So that's radical self-love, you see. So because this um, really radically being able to give love to your fear, like it's a crying child, because this is such a profoundly challenging thing to do. Um, most of us skip it. Most of us find ways to distract ourselves from it because we don't really find our ability to lock into comforting that inner child. But I'm telling you, that is the, the key out of nervousness and the key out of deep pain. Like, that's what needs to be integrated above all else. And, like, I'm someone who loves, like, I have, I love the get after it mindset and I love the, I'm not sure, do you, if you guys look up this guy named David Goggins, he's this guy who became a Navy SEAL, he had a horrible childhood, got really badly abused, and yet was a big mental self-hater, and he found the ability to <laughs> will himself through incredible suffering to achieve huge heights of, um, <laughs> of physical fitness and internal peace. Relative internal, <laughs> relative internal peace and empowerment. 
And there's so many things, uh, motivation things like that out there um, about grinding, putting in the work, putting in the hard work, um, because we all know the acceleration of seeing progress, of seeing um, forward motion, of developing ourselves, all those things. But what's far, 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 far more challenging and brave, and I would say important, is this ability to caretake our fear like a child. This is the depth of it. This is, and this has to be done before, honestly, before the expansion into personal development. This is so much more elemental and this is so much more related to our collective healing. Um, someone who can really learn how to comfort their inner child is someone who can heal from their trauma, is someone who, who's not yet, who can heal from the trappedness that, that being traumatized brings. And we have so many deep layers of that. It's a beautiful idea that we could start caretaking our fear so that these inner blocks could start moving away. So somebody pays themselves. They'll be in a situation where it's like, okay, I need to win somebody's approval, and this is not going to come easy because I'm a horrible person innately, so I'm going to do whatever I can do and really be resentful of it that I'm doing this thing that I don't want to do. And it sets, it, it sets you up because people can't stand you when you've got that energy. What I'm watching is that it becomes a self-perpetuating cycle of abuse, self-abuse. It becomes the relapse cycle where it's like, something causes you to relapse into the behavior, whether it's self-hate or something else. And then because you've relapsed, that becomes another reason to hate yourself. And it's just, it's like a spiral from hell. So, mm -hmm. so it's very important for me to be in a position where I normalize that for people. So that, so that not only, you know, so that they get. This is okay. To have a relapse is okay. I want to repeat that too, so... My, all, everyone, like they're my family or my friends, with yeah, with the sincerity. If you had a relapse, that's okay. It's it's really okay. It's completely okay. Treat yourself as gently as possible. It's the missing experience. We we need to experience the missing experience in our lives. Most people who have gone through trauma, they are lacking gentleness. They are lacking connection. They are lacking security. Those are the types of things they need. And is there like a lot of anxiety that it seems like people with trauma, and it could be a lot of different reasons, but anxiety seems like to be such a huge one for people who've been through a lot of trauma. Yes, but I can explain this really quick if you want to know why. Oh, I would love it. Okay, anxiety is the byproduct of self-hate. Okay. What it is is that I am in a situation where I'm being treated badly, and the only way that I could take responsibility, feel powerful, enough was to take complete responsibility for why that was happening to me. I'm going to do that by going into shame. It's my fault. Now one of the reasons that it's so incredibly difficult to get people who have survived abuse out of it's my fault is because that's the only control they ever had. It's my fault is the only thing that makes me not a victim. It means I can do something about it. But it comes with a seriously heavy side dish. And that's that if it's my fault, I did something wrong and bad. If you're struggling with stuckness or limitedness um, in your life in any way, small or severe, it probably probably has a lot to do with this concept um, that Teal just talked about of um, 
if this happened to me, I must have done something wrong. If you can get through all the layers of that, you can get back to yourself and back to the moment. But to those of you that are so far away from a feeling of clearness or presence and um, experience true hopelessness, I, well, I thought that Teal said something helpful about that too. What would you tell them to give them some hope? Because, you know, that's the one thing that's always taken away, okay. is hope. Okay, what would I tell them? Tell myself. I would tell them, I think, that the, what you went through has made you capable of connecting with human beings on a level that most people will never reach. Now, I know that it's hard for people to understand that because when you've been abused, like I said, you're in a state of fear and so you're feeling isolated. Mm -hmm. But the reality is that the distance between people is what's causing the issues on this planet. It is that incapacity to feel compassion, the incapacity to really connect with other people's pain that causes that. And it, I mean, it's, it's why people are in so much pain around the world. So what I notice over and over again with survivors is that they have this depth of emotional connection. And if they could understand where that can go, the, le the levels of intimacy that you can get to that you would never have dreamed of. Most people who are in just an average relationship never, ever, ever, ever reach the level of intimacy and connection. So it's almost like, by virtue of going to the extremes this way of all the horrible things you can experience, it's almost like you give birth to the other side of potential. You can experience that much safety because here's the principle in the universe. You can't understand white unless you know black. So it's almost like to the degree that you go black, you can understand the opposite degree of white. And that is something that's available to your consciousness where it wouldn't even be a question in the mind of someone who hasn't experienced those levels of darkness. Now, I really, really agree with that. I just wanted to touch on the place of, so what about, if you never get there, what if you're trapped on the dark side or that that ends up being the end of your life experience? It's um how do I put it? I feel like it's our duty. And we, it's ridiculous that I feel like I'd have to say this out loud, but um, because it should be 100% intuitive. But there's so much out there about like needing to go through darkness and your transformation, and everyone's going. Sorry, pre-yawning. Um, everyone's going through their own version of their rebirth or their darkness or their or their challenges, when um, we obviously, if we lived a more interconnected life and we knew how to take caretake our fear, um, the, the presence of this darkness would not be, um, have nearly the same kind of position it has. So as much as I like, I 100% agree with what Teal said about the degree to which you've experienced darkness is also the degree to which you can experience life. And that is absolutely amazing. And it makes me think of 
something that I wrote a couple years ago. I was thinking about something in particular, but one of the main sentences, I wrote a whole letter, but it said that the depth of your struggle will only strengthen your love. So if you're ever afraid about um, how bad you're struggling, think of someone looking at you and being able to say, the depth of your struggle will only strengthen your love. And now let's see what, what was two going to say next. So yeah, with that idea of being able to embrace your struggle and accept it and even show it to people is the idea of authenticity. And that seems like that's what you seem like you do care about yourself and you love yourself. It depends. On, on yeah, well, that's probably normal. I do. I mean, a lot more than where I was. But, I mean, one of the things I'm the most... One of the things I'm the most dedicated to in the world is, is basically authenticity with where I am. If now I, feel this for a moment. How good would it feel to just feel free to be authentic all the time? How good would that feel to just be able to say what you want to say, exactly what you want to say, and say how you actually feel? Feel that for a second. Yeah. <laughs> That's where it is. So I'm going to let Teal wrap up right here. This is what it's all about as well. So listen. Part of me trying to heal from my trauma was realizing that nobody had an answer for me. I, mean, that's, I, I would love to sugarcoat it, but that's the reality. It got to the point where trying to heal from all the trauma that I went through, I hit a dead end. It didn't matter what psychologist I went to, we would have that talk where they would sit down with me and say, darling, you've had developmental trauma. Trauma that is so severe that it has altered the way your brain is wired. You are going to look at a life that's going to look a certain way. You're probably never going to have a day where you don't have dissociative seizures. You're going to have issues in relationships probably for the rest of your life. You're going to have to live life a certain way. It's kind of like the talk that, it's like on a mental and emotional level, it's the talk it's that... like, and they're supposed to be helping, right? Yeah. But the, it's this kind of talk that you'd get if you were a paraplegic. Mm -hmm. You're not going to walk again. So, <laughs> I didn't accept it, to be honest. Like, I would not swallow it. I was like, I'm not living this way. It's not happening. So, it was really disconcerting and put me into a super hopeless space that nobody had an answer and that's why they kept saying that to me because they mm -hmm. didn't want they didn't want to own the shame right. they didn't want to say look none of us know what to do exactly that was <laughs> <So> the answer <laughs> yeah. yeah the answer is none of us know what to do but they didn't want to say that because it makes them feel inadequate so right. it was scary to realize how damn alone i was yeah. and i realized that the answers were going to have to come from me when i hear teal say the answers were going to have to come from me what that means is it's, it's not meant in the isolated way that I've been treating it most of my life. It's meant in the way that I have to be my own pillar of trust. It doesn't mean I have to function alone. It means I have to truly trust myself and that other men and especially women need to have a pillar of trust that's so clearly theirs and has nothing to do with anybody else 
And that's going to be the solution to the, the trappedness of self-hate. Another major part of shedding self-hate is to start recognizing, I'm sure lots of you guys have heard about this, but the in our internal fragmentation, we create parts that are sort of our protector parts and um, parts that are more vulnerable parts internally. And we tend to identify more consciously with the parts of ourselves that we see as our protector parts. And I think it's extremely, extremely common for women in a sort of, in a world where your femininity is not welcomed and your feminine intelligence is practically gaslighted and your expression is suppressed all over the place. It's quite normal, I think, for women to develop protector aspects, aspects inside of them that actually reflect um, very unhealthy forms of sort of false masculinity that we see out in the world, like certain types of forcefulness and aggression that we see our, that our world sort of runs on, that we think that we can protect our vulnerable feminine selves with these um, aggressive, hard, masculine qualities. And this is a big part of something in my life that I've felt in this time as, be, as being sort of forcibly removed from me. Like living in the survival mode in so many settings of having to hold on to false masculine qualities, as I'm calling them, that, aren't, that don't allow me to relax. Like holding on to those things literally feels like a tension in my body. Like my body was not made to... To have hardness and aggression and intenseness um, that I that I need to have in order to play out these protector self roles, and um, yeah, part of discovering my true self is to grow out of some of the shame of the internal feminine self, and so now I'm gonna play you guys a long clip. It's with Teal Swan again, <laughs> um, and she is she does a beautiful job, I think, showing it, something that is very um, close to how I feel, and I don't want to speak for all women or anything like that, but for me, it describes my internal feminine a lot. And I just wanted to make it really clear that I'm not trying to say that women, you'll see what I mean when you listen to this, I'm not trying to say that women are passive and that women aren't forceful and that I don't think that, I think it's extremely authentically feminine to have many very um, powerful or even aggressive qualities. So I'm not excluding those. This clip is just a focus on more of the neglected, um, softer feminine that I've pushed away so much.
we're dealing with an aspect of our consciousness, a part within us, it's really important to understand that we can't be politically correct and we have to step completely into the perspective of just that part without any awareness of the other parts. So this is not going to be, when you're in a singular part, it's not going to look unbiased. It's going to look completely biased and it's going to just be like verbal slaughter. So regardless of how much this may or may not trigger people, realize this is part of the work of shadow work. The first part that I'm going to show you is the part within women, specifically my part, <laughs> that does want the traditional gender role for women. Okay. How are you feeling? I'm feeling like life is too hard. I'm feeling I'm feeling very slow. Like I'm feeling kind of like I want everything to be motivated from the inside. Like if I want to do something, I want to be able to choose to do that thing and not have it be a schedule that's laid out in front of me. seem to be like very fragile or soft. Yeah, I feel soft. I don't feel very fragile, but I do feel soft. Um, yeah. What do you want to be doing? I just want to do what wouldn't, it's almost like my being functions on intuition and inspiration. So it's like, I want to let life come through me instead of lead life. Does that make sense? How do you feel about jobs? It's like instead of like going forward at everything, I sort of want to like be receptive to what life life happens through me. How do I feel about jobs? Yeah. I don't want one because that's the thing. If I am if I commit to something one hundred percent, like a job, then it means I can't do what I want. It's like when the tides change, I can't go with it. It's like I have to go against it. That and I don't know how to do the same thing every day and be okay. And I'm just, I'm like so soft. I'm actually looking for somebody to lead me. I want to be led. I don't want the pressure of having to lead. It almost feels good to me to like just be following. But I can, I can hear the other part saying that's wrong. I'm waiting for your prompts too. Like I, I can't lead this. I've noticed, but it almost seems like I should tell you what to do. No, no, I'm not, I'm not, this is the thing, it's not that I'm trying to be told what to do, it's that life happens through me. So when you say something that creates a reaction in me and I respond to the reaction, I'm like very so, responsive. Okay, so completely receptive. Totally. So... I'm totally receptive. And you create from that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I feel like you give me something and that comes through me as something else. And I love that. And I like like this, I'm feel, I feel very fluid in this role and I feel like really beautiful. Like and, a flower. Yeah. And in this role, like I, I don't want to have to harden myself. I That's what I don't want is to be hard. Like I don't want to be hard 
and have to protect myself against anything. Like I want to be protected totally and I want to be taken care of. Like I want to be in a safe box, but the way that that box is, or the way that being owned in that way is, is like it doesn't keep me trapped in any way. It like enables me, it feels like, to become wider. So I feel I feel like with with everything being harsh and with no protection, I'm like limited in that way. I feel tight, but like having a, a box around me, like a man that's protecting me completely, makes me feel like I can totally unfold. Like there isn't a limit to me. And that's the thing. I want I want life to. I don't want to have to do life the way that life needs me to do it. It's like. If winter comes, I'm going to be acting different. Then if fall comes, then I'm going to be acting different. If summer comes, then I'm going to be acting different. If I'm 17, and I'm going to be acting different. If I'm 80, I'm like very flowy. And that's what bugs me about society. I feel like if I get pregnant, right? What I have to what I have to do is like totally open myself to just allowing that process to take place. But then if somebody says, "Sorry, you have to wake up at this time regardless of how you're feeling and you have to go to sleep at this time regardless of whether you want to stay up or you have to work, it doesn't matter if you're exhausted or you have to have to." Like I'm not going to be able to let that process take place. So, how do you feel about kids? Is this part I like them there? But I feel like they're their own beings, so I kind of feel like I can just sort of open up and let them happen. And by giving them any sort of energy, they sort of become what they're meant to become. And it's natural for me to give energy. I actually see that as part of receptivity, that's funny. I see it as me totally receiving a person, actually, when I see what their needs are and when I can meet those needs. What do you want to know? How do you feel about the other part? I'm terrified of that part. Why? Because she's made me so wrong. Like, so wrong. You know, I really want, and that's the thing, like, I really want a man to be a man. I want him to open a door for me so I can go through it. I want him to protect me. I want him to, like, take responsibility for me, actually. And I don't, I don't feel like that necessarily makes me, like, any less of a person. I feel like if we have specific gender roles, then, like, my gender, my role is valuable. But that one's telling me that, that my role is not valuable. And that it's embarrassing. So I've been basically told that I'm embarrassing. How do you feel about today's society? And that's the thing. When I'm living life according to that other part, then people get me in trouble for not being more like me. And when I'm more like me, people get me in trouble for not being more like that part, so I'm really confused and stuck. And I feel like it's wrong for me to admit that I want the things that I want because it's just embarrassing. That's basically what I've been told. So how do, you feel, how do you feel about today's society? It's scary. It's really scary. I feel like I have to be really, really brave and get really, really tight and hard in order to face it. And I feel like I have to deny parts of myself and like override parts of myself and it hurts. It really hurts. So do you feel like there's space for you? No. Like none. Yeah, but none. There's no space for me, but at the same time, society says, well, you need to make space for you. 
that's not, that, that's like defies the whole point of me. I can't make space for me. That's a forceful thing and I'm not forceful. It's like my, my power is my openness, basically. I'm not forceful. You're receptive. Yeah. I don't want to be on camera anymore. Oh, you can tell. Okay. Is that it? Yeah, but I'm in a war right now with this other part, so. We can talk to the other part. <sighs> okay. I'm really anxious about that. So then Teal goes into another role, the role of the of the more of the working woman and it's done very well too but i'm not going to play it here but if you look up the video why do women give such mixed messages i'm pretty sure that's what it's called on youtube you can watch that part as well i'm going to close out this episode by reading from the book the time of the black jaguar I'm going to read from the chapter, The Teachings of the Snake, which I referred to in the opening episode. And the subheading here is called My Encounter with the Wise Snake. The teaching that I received from the spider made me look at myself in a very deep way. In a world mostly run by forceful masculine minds, I started becoming fully aware of how the feminine nature was getting crushed. I became aware of my unconscious participation in the disrespect towards the feminine as my love for her was growing more and more every day. Because of my work of healing and rituals, I had to be in ceremony very often, and that meant being with her. She is the medicinal herbs. She is the talking stone. She is the sweet smell of the healing smokes. She is the crying voice of the sick ones. She is the blue star that guides us to the fresh water that touches our mouth, bringing back to us the memory of our health. Over and over again, I came back to a place where I recognized her infinite beauty and went on my knees when seeing the power of her unconditional love. With the help of a few years of intense suffering <laughs> and the guidance of some good friends and elders, I was able to recognize that the same conditions that caused the divorce with the mother of my children created my separation from the feminine nature that I had come to love so much. I really wanted to remedy this, so I prayed for help. The most amazing thing is that Spirit already knew what was going to happen to me before it happened, and the help started coming even shortly before the divorce. I was helped to start changing my perception of the relationship between men and women while doing a vision quest in the desert of New Mexico. The useful insights I received in that experience I now want to share with all those needing help as I did during those, those years. I have been sitting under a tree for many days without food and water, crying for a vision with a kanunpa, sacred pipe in my hand, very thirsty and tired. Um, I was using the little energy I had left to fight with the flies that kept testing my attention and patience. Realizing how distracted I was, I straightened my back and prepared myself for finding my silence again. Soon it all got better. Even the flies stopped bothering me. It was then that I saw, at the top of a small nearby tree, a large pink snake looking at me. 
We stared at each other's eyes for a while, which made me feel a deep desire to fall asleep. I made the effort not to do so, and then I felt more awake than ever. Thoughts from the snake's mind started appearing in my mind, along with some very clear images. She started with a very strong statement. In the beginning, all humans, boys and girls alike, are born as females. I kept giving her my full attention. She put thoughts in my mind that explained how later girls naturally grow up to become women. This happens when they start being called by the female power of the moon to whom they are kin and also by the queen of femininity, Mother Earth, whose magnetism absorbs their menstrual blood. Even when young girls may benefit from certain teachings and from going through a rite of passage, their most powerful initiation happens naturally as their bodies develop into womanhood. But for boys to become men, more awareness is needed. It is not enough to have their first wet dreams and realize that now they are capable of making babies. Boys need to consciously choose to become men and work on it. We all begin our lives inside our mother's body. We all start our lives being part of her, being her, a feminine being. Real manhood, as I understood with the help of the snake, is only the result of work and learning. It cannot be taken for granted. Awakening in my mind, clear memories of my childhood, she helped me to see what happens when we are boys and teenagers. We keep watching the girls grow up become women as the feminine beings that they are naturally. We watch how the mysterious power that started dwelling in their feminine bodies grows so clearly every day while we, originally feminine but equipped with underdeveloped masculine potential, constantly need to seek references from our father and other role models to help us grow to be men. Boys need to be taught and initiated in order to become men. The snake helped me see how most nations around the world are in a human crisis due to the lack of initiations and teachings for boys to become men. So strongly seeking examples of masculinity, boys are receiving false models full of violence and arrogance, born from the media and the problems of male adults. Clearly and without beating around the bush, the snake told me that not all of those who have a penis are real men. With the snake's help, it started to become clear to me that in a society where a lack of real, real models of masculinity, with a lack of real models of masculinity, most boys grow up with insecurities. These insecurities often appear when the presence of girls were becoming strong in their feminine nature. If this condition continues at a more advanced age, a mysterious, strong, and attractive young woman could feel like a threat to a youngster who still has not found out how to be a man. So somehow he wants to conquer her. He wants to prove that he is also strong, much stronger than her. From here, very often, two forms of male conduct are born. The way of the abusive male and the way of the male who is a sucker. The abusive male, you, you, the abusive males use their physical and mental strength to overpower women and put them under themselves. The suckers repeat with their girlfriends and wives the same patterns that they learned as babies to get their mother's attention and milk. Both the abusive male and the one who depends on the comfort of his mother's milk are males who haven't become men yet, no matter how old they are. The abusive one is really afraid of his lack of personal power, so he needs to constantly put down the females to feel that he is the one who rules. 
Aggressive demonstrations of power and superiority are his well-built defenses, and the man who still needs to suck energy from his mother is a manipulative man, a spoiled kind of man who feels entitled to be served and who gets mad when not given what he wants. Many men who seem to be very powerful suffer from these weaknesses. It is sad enough that women have to put up with these two different kinds of male behavior, but it is not only the women who have to endure this, it is also our Mother Earth. All the damage done to our mother has been directed by men who suffer from one of the conditions just described or from a combination of both. These men first started suffering from some insecurity, as is normal for most boys, but they did not have the fortune of receiving the right teachings for becoming men. They became efficient in what they always do, dominating and exploiting the gifts of the feminine. We all can see this as we watch how the Earth's wild powers have been crushed or tamed, and how the Earth's juicy fruits are being sucked into the last drop of, until the last drop by non-initiated men. After seeing what the snake was showing me and feeling shocked by the truth of it, I started making my own conclusions about the condition of men, and also started to feel guilty about it. She read my mind and moved down the little tree towards me stopping at the very short, a very short distance from my head. By making this aggressive move, she stopped my thoughts. Then she asked me to look at the condition in which many women are living. My mind became filled with the battle scenes from the different European wars, millions of soldiers dying and millions of women becoming widows, having to raise their children alone under the most difficult conditions, feeling the need to develop some masculine strength to be able to survive. It was also shown scenes of women who decided to increase their power after getting tired of being with an abusive man. The power that they grew in order to defeat him was masculine. Then I saw a clear image of a modern European type woman, less feminine, more masculine. At this moment, the snake told me that the energy of women is so flexible and resourceful that if necessary, they can grow a man within themselves. The lack of men, or the lack of men who could be trusted, forced a great number of women to do this. These women then passed on to their new, their new quote-unquote straits to the girls of the generations that came after them. Unfortunately, the man that a woman can grow within herself isn't a real man either. Thanks to the light of the sacred snake, um was shining on some blind spots of my mind. I had a very deep realization on that day of vision quest. I could see that both men and women have been promoting the development of a false masculine force, which is just the external manifestation of their image of power. Nowadays, everyone feels entitled to be powerful in the family and in the world, and the false masculine is ruling. I was able to understand that we are not really suffering from an excess of the authentic sacred masculine principle, we are suffering from an excess of the false masculine principle. Stopping the destruction of our world is what is at stake now. The deconstruction of the earth is only possible when not enough men are man enough to stand up and do something about it. The world isn't really suffering from an excess of masculinity, there's just a serious lack of authentic masculinity. We are not in the condition we're in because our culture became patriarchal and the masculine dominated everyone. What happened is that the masculine force now dominating the world is heartless and abusive. It is war-oriented, out of balance, and sick. 
This kind of dominant masculine force is a pale comparison of the true potential that lives within the sacred masculine principle, which is honorable and beautiful. If the actions of men were the true expression of the sacred masculine, it wouldn't be a problem to have them provide as a humble service the direction of our society. It isn't at all wrong to allow the masculine to govern. When men are not afraid of women and willing to co-govern with them, when afraid of women, the man who is not fully developed will either tend to be submissive to her or try to get her out of the way, missing the opportunity of the most valuable relationship of cooperation. Only when men defeat their own insecurities and become solid as a tree can they open their mind to the flow of a woman's feminine intelligence without feeling threatened by it. Humanity is also in need of the return of the real feminine principle. The healing of our world requires the talents of a type of feminine intelligence that was neglected when seeking power became so important. This type of intelligence, intuitive and wise, is rooted in the earth, in the heart, and the way the waters move. The purpose of its existence is to take care of life by recognizing the most essential needs of living creatures. I have observed in my grandmothers and sisters how this recognition always happens in the present moment by using awareness that comes from feeling without the need of linear thinking. This type of feminine intelligence is so fast, vast, and round that rational explanations seem very slow and limited in contrast. We all need the service that this intelligence provides us. It is sad to witness women choosing to develop the masculine intelligence and allow their feminine powers to weaken. This is understandable when the world as it is today rewards with success those who are intelligent in a more masculine way. Feminine intelligence is more difficult to understand, at least for men, and especially in modern cultures that have distanced themselves from the primal feminine wisdom of the earth. For indigenous and ancient cultures of people who live very close to the earth, it is the opposite. Feminine intelligence, being closer to the mystery, is seen as being closer to the truth. The feminine principle has always been a source of fascination for tribal people who tirelessly explore it in their ceremonies and rituals. Mystery, as much as the intuitive feminine knowledge, is for indigenous people a sacred source. Our rational knowledge does not seek to eliminate it.